Welcome to Lydia Finette's Claim Your Confidence, a podcast that will introduce you to the most powerful women in the world as they talk about their own confidence journey. No matter what obstacles you face, Claim Your Confidence will inspire you, motivate you, and give you a roadmap to live the life you want. So, are you ready to claim your confidence? Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Claim Your Confidence. I'm Lydia Finette, podcasting from Rockefeller Center in the beautiful newsstand studio. It is a gorgeous day in New York City, and I am so happy that you are with me today. If you're one of the millions of people who are seeking a healthier lifestyle, you might have come across the website Mind Body Green. You would be one of 15 million viewers a month to see this website. And I am so delighted to have the co-CEO and co-founder, Colleen Wakab, to talk to me all about everything wellness after a quick word from our sponsors. Welcome back to Claim Your Confidence. I am so delighted to introduce you to Colleen Wakab, the co-CEO and co-founder of one of the most popular wellness sites and podcasts, Mind Body Green. Welcome to the podcast, Colleen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I have so much to learn from you because I have a Diet Coke that is sitting adjacent to my computer <laughs> right now, and I had about nine brownies last night. So I really feel like I'm going to learn more from this podcast than anyone else. But I'm so excited to hear about this empire that you've built. And I want to start at the beginning. Where did you grow up? So I grew up outside of Southern California, outside of Los Angeles, had what I would consider very typical upbringing, did a lot of sports, went to public schools, and really found my groove within sports and academics. What kind of sports did you play? What were your sports rosters? Yeah. So I grew up in Palos Verdes, which is tennis country. You know, Lindsay Davenport's from there. Mm -hmm. Pete Sampras is from there. I had nowhere near anywhere close to their skill, but <laughs> did play a lot of tennis. I played water polo as that sport was kind of growing up as in its infancy. Right now it's everywhere, but, you know, over 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. And then I swam. And you swam. And what did you learn from being on all those teams? Gosh, so much about losing. <laughs> so much of my identity within high school was really wrapped up in sports, but it wasn't something that came really easily to me. Like we're sitting across, so you can't really see kind of my stature, but I'm six feet tall and I look probably more athletic than I am naturally. And I had to work a lot harder than everyone else to kind of get the same results in a lot of the sports that I chose. And growing up especially in a sport like swimming. And as I think through kind of like my kids and how their athletic paths may or may not cross out, I don't think I would ever put them in swimming because it's almost a sport that instills too much discipline in you. And I was already a kid who was probably hardwired to be hard on myself and staring at a black line every day <laughs> for two and a half, four hours when you're older and doing more training. Like that was probably not what I needed to become like a well-adjusted happy kid. It takes a lot of discipline. And whenever I meet other swimmers, I do just have that like kindred spirit because of the work ethic involved where I'm like, I understand your psyche and mm. your psychographic. And I think I started to enjoy athletics a lot more 
in high school when these became team sports, even mm-hmm. sports that are so individual, like to this mental mind game that I think a lot of tennis and a lot of swimming can end up being. And water polo was just pure joy. You know, it was the beginning moments of it. It was so fun being with a group of young women who were so excited about it. But it just instills this discipline, this resilience in you, mm-hmm. and, you know, the ability to do a lot of hard things. And I think it's by far one of the most formative experiences. You know, I look at my life now in terms of being an entrepreneur, because in so many ways, I'm not hardwired for entrepreneurship. But I think athletics, especially when you're not athletically inclined naturally, just teaches you just such hardcore resilience and discipline. Colleen, this is so funny because I am remembering having a conversation with your husband. For our listeners, I was on the Mind Body Green podcast recently, and we did it virtually as well. And I typically do everything in studio here, but Colleen is obviously based in Miami and not in New York. And about two-thirds of the way through the conversation, we actually started talking about the fact that I'm almost six feet tall as well. And your husband ah. is six seven. I know. This is a tall conference. Welcome to being tall, everyone. <laughs> It's really a topic of conversation that you can delve into. I, too, was very mediocre at sports. I played basketball in middle school and a team that never won a game in three years. And I could not hit anything with the ball. I mean, not even close to the goal. And then I went to boarding school in Connecticut and field hockey was a sport that my mother had played. My mother is five, six, I think she would say. I'm not even sure that she's that tall. You cannot play field hockey if you're tall. And I know a lot of people dispute that, but you are bending in half literally in half as you run down the field. They'd be like, bend your knees while you run. I was just like, this is the worst sport I have ever heard of in my entire life. So I really understand that. And I fully appreciate the fact that it is not easy being tall and not being particularly athletic at times. But I'm so glad that you found polo. And I agree, team sports are such an incredible way to instill confidence in not only children, but also high school and into college, because you do really have to lean on other people and you learn to trust other people and take the good with the bad. Because obviously, if you don't win, something has gone wrong. It's not always on you, which is great. (laughs) Right. You stayed in California for college. Is that correct? You went to Stanford. Is that right? Yeah. Went to Stanford, stayed in California. I really gravitate towards warmer weather, hence why I moved back to Miami. And I enjoyed college. I think I had the imposter syndrome that we all have at certain points in our life, probably hit me a little bit earlier. And then I had this part of my identity just kind of taken away because I was known, you know, as like a student athlete in high school. And I did rowing for a little less than a year at Stanford, and it was a pretty miserable experience. Yeah, it seems intense rowing. (laughs) Yeah, it seems very intense. It's very intense. And then you add on El Nino, so just like constant, constant rain at six in the morning and you're, you know, you just kind of have one of these like, why am I doing this? (laughs) Dabbled in a lot of different classes. I didn't quite ever find like my academic stride. And I think through this whole college process realized I wasn't someone who enjoyed writing long papers and that part of the process, but I really enjoyed the social elements. I really enjoyed that piece of it, but was happy to never write another academic paper ever again. And that was not my true calling. And then I had grown up the child of entrepreneur parents and I saw through them the hardships of being an entrepreneur. So, you know, fast forward back, I was a child of the 80s and 90s. You know, this was before entrepreneurship was glamorized. This Mm -hmm. was before this, you know, VC culture had kind of shaped up. My parents were true small business owners, mom and pop entrepreneurs, and my father 
owned and continues to own car washes. My mom went on a trip to France and then opened up a French pastry shop after being a nurse. So oh. these were people who took incredible risks and you know didn't think them through in kind of the ways we've all been trained to think through, like, what's the probability of this working? What's my margin <laughs> structure? They just went all in. And I would see the pain of that of, yeah. oh, when it rains, we as a family don't make money when you own car washes. And, yeah. you know, I would hear kind of the ebbs and the flows of this. So I think as a reaction to that, the way I gravitated first in my career was the most corporate of settings. I ended up working for Gap in eight years in San Francisco, Gap Inc., I moved to New York, and as we were building Mind Body Green, I was moonlighting in the sole kind of breadwinner at Walmart and Amazon. And, and my husband, Jason, always jokes that I just missed Exxon on my tour of duty. So I actually took like <laughs> the complete opposite approach. Yeah, you like boomeranged. Totally. <laughs> to just hearing firsthand about the entrepreneurship struggle. So I didn't go into entrepreneurship with any type of rose-colored glasses. I knew it was an all-encompassing ordeal. It's so ironic, isn't it, that you saw that and thought, no way, and entered the corporate world. And then all of a sudden, here we are, obviously, many years later, and you were a full-blown entrepreneur speaking about entrepreneurism. So what got you out of the corporate world? I remember speaking with Jason, and he'd had a back injury, and then you had health issues as well. Yeah. So I think I had, you know, that Pope Bronson wrote a book back in the day of like the quarter life crisis. And, you know, I, I had all those struggles in terms of finding my purpose and my identity. But it was really a very large kick in the butt from the universe that caused me to transition and evolve my life. And you really have to have some of those low moments of the soul to kind of get to that breakthrough point. Because when life's kind of going fine, you're not really going to make those massive shifts. So I had a near catastrophic, life-threatening pulmonary embolism when I was living in New York in my early 30s, working at Amazon. I went to Tara Stiles' Saturday morning, 11 a.m. yoga class, which was my routine back in the day. And as I was leaving class, I was like, I feel a little out of breath. And I called Jason. I was like, can you come into the city? We walked around the West Village and I was like, you know, I, I just think I have to get home. We took the A train home and there's a really steep steps in this particular subway station. And I was walking up at a normal pace and collapsed on the subway floor and eventually got up called my GP from outside and I did the things that so many women do and men. I totally gaslit myself. Mm -hmm. It was like, this wasn't a big deal. Yeah. I was I'm dehydrated. Fine. Yeah, Totally continued to gaslight myself for the entire weekend. When I napped, I slept. I did things that are just really unaccustomed to who I was and how I lived my life. So on Monday morning, Jason was like, the only way you are going to your job at Amazon is if you stop by the doctor on the way. And so went by my GP who was in Soho, you know, within three minutes, he's like, I'm pretty sure you're having a pulmonary embolism. You need to get to the NYU ER right now. And I was so bewildered and so confused. He ended up writing me a sign that said, I'm having a pulmonary embolism. And I wasn't sure if he was concerned <laughs> that I wouldn't actually get to NYU and they would need to like have oh some goodness. sort of, you know, written understanding of what's going on, or if he just didn't think I'd be able to articulate by the time I got to NYU what was going on. So, you know, by the time I got to NYU, I had showers of clots in my lungs. And that started this really long process of working these clots out of my lungs and really transforming and kind of rethinking all of the values through which I'd been living my life. And the really 
fascinating thing about a pulmonary embolism is, is it's somewhat of an invisible illness. So mm-hmm. I looked like a tall, healthy looking person on the outside, but was struggling with the most fundamental element of life, which is breath yeah. on the inside. I remember being on subway trains and kind of seeing a seat and fighting senior citizens for it because in that scorching heat of summer, I knew I would be struggling to be able to breathe on those crowded trains. So it was for sure one of the inflection points of my life. And I ended up writing about this experience from Mind Body Green. I I don't really have serious predisposed genetics to clotting. I was one of the many people who experienced a clot on birth control pills. And, you know, I think I had heard of risks, but associated them with people who were potentially overweight or potentially smokers and not something that I would experience. But after I wrote about the story for Mind Body Green, it's clear that this happens to a lot of friends, sisters, and cousins out there. And I'm glad that more women are talking about it now over 10 years later. This was before Mind Body Green. This was as Mind Body Green was still in its infancy. From 2009 to 2013, I would say we were Mm pre-revenue. So there was still a site Jason was 100% in and I was working nights and weekends. We hadn't been able to monetize the business in a meaningful way quite yet. I view Mind Body Green as kind of the mentor that I used to help guide me through this period of healing that lasted a very long time. So the idea for Mind Body Green came, you sort of said earlier than this, and this started because if Jason mentioned this on the podcast, that he had had back issues and he started doing yoga and kind of realized there was this wellness connection that a lot of people were missing. I say this now during a time when every influencer who has a gym or an access to a gym, I feel like is a wellness coach or things like this. This was way before we were seeing this kind of content on the internet. And what does it take to have that conversation, especially with your husband, because I remember reading in an article that you became the breadwinner for the family while he sort of took the step and took this plunge. Like, what does that conversation look like? Because I think the early entrepreneurial days are always of such interest to people who are listening. Tell us the beginning of this. And even five years later, as all this is going on with you, what does the first five years look like for you? Yeah. So 2009, when we were discussing early plans for Mind Body Green, we knew that my background was very, you know, and this was the Great Recession. We knew that I could get a job pretty easily based on my corporate experience. So we were like, we'll give Mind Body Green three to six months. We had three to six months to be able to show a path to revenue. And we had that conversation probably every three to six months. And we would get indicators that things were moving in the right direction. However, none of them were economic indicators. And this was all happening right at the time that we were getting married. And we went to marriage counseling because it was a point of a lot of discord in our marriage that Jason was getting to live his passion every day. Who did I get to speak to? And I was like, well, I went to work at Walmart, which was (laughs) not speaking to my soul. And I think the lessons that we learned in marriage counseling were just so relevant for being entrepreneurs together because we really had to get on the same page about our risks and philosophies around financial wellness, which has since guided the company. And we realized we had two really different risk thresholds. And I had come from this 
childhood where I saw all the pitfalls. Mm-hmm. I saw, you know, the stress that it put and the strain that it put on my parents' marriage. And, and as a kid, I would remember rainy days of, oh, I don't think we made any money today. Yeah. So I was coming at it with all of this baggage from my childhood. And Jason was coming at it from, I would say, a more typical entrepreneurial standpoint. And we had to find a way to balance our two viewpoints. And what I think the best kind of business outcome is that is we were very determined to build a profitable business. And, you know, the company has been profitable like 17 quarters in a row. And that is now a value that is valued by the world. Uh Whereas in this decade of the 2010s, I think it was somewhat of a novel or just a different way of running it. But we had this rooting of understanding its importance, not just to our own mental health, but our marriage and also the company health. It's interesting when you talk about it in 2010s that profitability wasn't something that people cared about. I feel like as someone who's been in business since I was 21, in most cases, especially in a company that's established, like it is the only thing people care about. They're sort of like, I love your ideas, but do your ideas make money? And I can remember a conversation with a senior woman. I remember talking to her about, I'd been running events for 10 years. I think I'd made some comment about like, I work so hard. I work literally every single weekend and night and I never have breaks and I love this job and I take it so seriously. And she was like, but do you make any money? And it was the first time anyone had ever said that to me. I was like, well, I'm in events. And it was really something that stuck with me. And eventually I started a department called Strategic Partnerships based on that comment because profitability is important in a business and it is wonderful to dream and have ideas. But at the end of the day, it is about the bottom line in any company that you look into. Totally. And it's also, you know, important from a mental health standpoint and a health standpoint to be able to have health insurance and, yes. and all of these other things. And so, you know, when people always talk to me about, you know, should I take this leap? I'm like, absolutely. But you don't have to go all in on day one. Right. If we didn't have my health insurance, my ability to pay rent and cover our basic needs, like it would have been a really different outcome for both the business and our marriage. And how do you lean into these things, get proof of concept, iterate, get an MVP with the luxury of being able to have health insurance and a job? Because that's those are very important elements of our health and well-being. Such important elements. And again, I would say this a million times over. If the nine-to-five job that you have is not what is going to light you up inside, but you need to pay your bills, it's okay to keep that job and work at night. That's what a side hustle really is. Let's be honest. It's having something to the side that you're hopefully building to a larger part that you can jump and there is no leap, really. You're just jumping to a higher spot, into a better, more secure spot. Yeah. I mean, when I look back at that decade in my 20s, of course, there's lots of life lessons. But I think one of them is just putting too much pressure on your career to be your singular purpose in life. And over the decades, my purpose has evolved. It will continue to evolve in the later decades of life. And we don't need to only seek that through our career. It puts just too much pressure. So at what point did you feel comfortable enough to walk out of your corporate job and join Jason? Because he was full-time in Mind Body Green early on. Yeah, he was full-time. So 2013, I was able to take a massive pay cut and join My Muddy Green full-time. And, you know, at that point, we were six people working out of a thousand-square-foot office with one bathroom, 
that served many offices for Sounds both men great. and women in the hallway. So a totally unsexy. <laughs> it was our best proxy for you. Say you want to work at a startup, but do you really? Let's show you what the office and bathroom looks like. Yeah, that's not what the glamorous shows on like, you know, Showtime and HBO and even the streaming services now always show the startup life as, you know, the intern with Anne Hathaway. And she's like striding into her totally. Brooklyn loft with, you know, 90 employees and everything's hot pink. That sounds like a real startup. So I'm glad that you've given us that information to think about. At this time, were you also working on starting a family? Was this sort of early days for that? Yeah. So after my pulmonary embolism, it was, this was 2012. You know, that was around the time that we started wanting to try for a family. And it was a, you know, much longer ordeal than we had ever planned. Definitely one of those rock bottom moments of the soul. We probably started this process end of 2012 and I didn't get pregnant until April 2016 with our first daughter. And I think it was a total of 15 embryos transferred to get to my firstborn over nine IVF transfers. So it was a long process. That is definitely one of the most stressful things we went through as individuals and as a family. And you were doing this all while working on a company together at the same time. And you must have been seeing professional growth, you know, as Mind Body Green was really taking off. But on the back end of that, you're having to do everything involved with IVF, which I know from so many of my friends and people in my life. It is nothing but stress and timing and constant worrying. And, and, you know, it's just always on your mind, even when it's not supposed to be on your mind. So can you talk to me a little bit about the confidence piece of being in that situation where you're growing and scaling a business that seems to be going really well at the same time? Personally, you're struggling with something that you literally cannot control. I'm so grateful that there is so much more dialogue about this topic now because in 2013, 14, 15, 16, people were not sharing these stories mm -hmm. in the same way that they are now. And I think when we share these stories of these lowest moments of the soul, we are giving hope to other women who are going in the same path and we are showing and sharing these stories of resilience. It was really difficult across all elements of life. And it really felt like my life was somewhat bifurcated mm -hmm. because I wasn't fully open with everything that was happening. I think potentially like to protect myself because it was enough for me to be on the roller coaster. But when you bring so many people along and then everyone knows, oh, didn't work again, oh, didn't work again. Yeah. It, it for me was somewhat of a protective measure. I absolutely think that having this healing journey before helped me prepare for this because I had opened myself up after my pulmonary embolism. I think I was already someone who was very logical and rational and disciplined. And then I had to kind of go more into the spiritual elements of something bigger and purpose. And what was I really finding joy in in life and digging a lot deeper? I always knew it was going to work. It definitely wasn't the path that I intended. But I always knew I didn't need to lean into Western anymore on this IVF journey. I was in New York City. I had the best doctors. You know, that piece was covered. What I had to lean into was more finding doctors who believed in me mm -hmm. because I wanted them to have that same belief and value system mm -hmm. and finding people who would be 
sympathetic, finding women and healers who had gone through the same journey. You know, I ended up working with a wonderful intuitive healer and she had had a very long struggle to get pregnant too. And those were the people who I found had the most profound impact on kind of my mental health through the process. When you find women who have walked in those shoes before, who when you talk about the pain, they understand it in a way that maybe someone really wants to who hasn't been there before, but just hasn't had that journey themselves. And so much of kind of getting through isn't the physical part. You know, you can kind of mechanically and transactionally put in the needles and, you know, do the work and all of that stuff, which is a job of its own, but it's really more the mental struggle of it and finding the right people to talk to and who understand and can be a good sounding board because it's a very tricky part of the journey when even your husband can't really get you the emotional help, you know, that you need. So you're having to look to, or at least I found the best comfort in other women who had walked in those shoes at some point in their lives before. It's so interesting having gone through pregnancies and, you know, having friends who've had every single different journey from a best friend who brought her child into the world through surrogacy to IVF for so many people, how it is such an individual thing that you're going through. I mean, you know the feelings of your body, you know every element of yourself. And I suspect when you're going through IVF, it's even heightened. Like every twinge, every feel, every pain, you're just like, is that a baby? I don't know what's going on. And it must be an incredible thing to go through and then come out on the other side and have a child while you're also building a website where you're talking about all of these things and their interconnection, how much of that was informing what was going on? Because if you look at Wine Body with Green now, I mean, there's a whole segment on family and its pregnancy, but there's also trying. It's a tab on the website, which I thought was so interesting. And as I was reading through your story, I just wondered how much of that were you putting online at the time, or has that been sort of something you can do with more ease now that you've passed through it and you do have two beautiful daughters? For me personally, it's been something that I've been able to speak to and address so much better now that I'm on the other side of that journey and not to say that that is the right path for every woman. Just for me personally, mentally, that was the best way to process it. And it's absolutely informed how we look at the entire you know, conversation of people trying to conceive to debating, should I have a child or not, which is another very robust conversation. I think it's made me hypersensitive to the language that we use because the language we use and the language that our caretakers and our doctors use is so important of informing our own journey. So we don't say miscarriage, we say pregnancy loss. Mm-hmm. We don't say infertility. We say fertility struggles. There's just Mm -hmm. little shifts that we can make that help better support anyone who's going on this journey. And, you know, they're probably the shifts that only people who have been through it perhaps realize or appreciate in language changes, but meaningful to those who have been on the journey. So let's go back to business for a little bit. Talk to me about the evolution of Mind Body Green, because one of the most fascinating things, and you can say this with parents who were entrepreneurs, but for those of us who did not grow up around people who were necessarily entrepreneurial or are on their entrepreneurial journeys of their own now, I wonder to what extent Mind Body Green looks anything like it did. Like if you were to go back to those 2000, the years in the 2000s when you were ideating Mind Body Green, what does it look like now versus what you thought it was going to be? So in some ways, 
it's very similar. And in those ways, it's the value system through which we run our content. And the values of the early days of 2009 are still the values that we have today. I think we've just probably gotten a little bit better at articulating them. But this idea that Mind Body Green, it's all one word because we think it's all interconnected and we want to provide you with the mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, environmental well-being tools. So all of that from a value standpoint really hasn't evolved that much. However, how we come to life as a brand has changed drastically. We always had a vision for, you know, doing more than just content, but our bread and butter and how we started was content. So I think a lot of people may kind of think of us as a media company. I understand how we could have that association. I like to think of ourselves as a well-being brand at which content is a heart of everything we do. So we started as a advertising business model. And since then, the way in which we make money has evolved so that we have three revenue streams. We still have advertising, which is a great revenue business for us. We also have an online education program, the kind of hero of which is a $4,500 health coaching certification where it's actually synchronous. So you're working live with people online. And then the third business model, which launched January 2020, is our CPG online. So it's a combination of mostly supplements as well as personal care products. And that's actually our largest business, even though it was just started three years ago. And that was because you saw customers asking for that? Or was that just where you felt the business should go? Everything has really stemmed from these personal experiences that that we've had. (laughs) Yeah. And we've seen the power of supplements to really transform our own lives. What's fascinating is my husband and I have both had a very similar discovery in that we both had high homocysteine levels. Like I learned about it through my pulmonary embolism. Jason learned about it through getting some blood work back at a point that his homocysteine levels were about... 500 to 600% over where they should be. And through that, learn that supplementation was like the one thing that really helped him through that process. And then we just started diving in deeper and deeper. And supplements as an industry gets a lot of rightful criticism. And a lot of people would be like, well, which supplements do you take? And we're like, "Hmm." we couldn't find any supplements that checked all of our boxes. And so we set out to create new standards and build the products that we as people who health is our everything would want to consume and ingest in their everyday lives. Where you are in your own entrepreneurial journey, when you look at what you saw your parents going through and you think about your two daughters, do you think they're seeing the same thing? Or do you guys have a healthier approach? Maybe you've thought about it a little bit more. It's definitely something that we continue to think. And, you know, we're still young in our parenting journey. Our girls are three and a half and then six. And one of the things we've realized, especially over the past year in moving here to Miami, is we want a lot more time with our kids now. And we find this time even more memorable than, you know, kind of those first couple of years of life. Like now it's soccer games, now it's performances. They remember these memories. They know if we're there or not. So, we work any hours you know that we can to be able to be there at those key events for our kids and our family and i think one of the things that we've realized is we need to have a sustainable way to run a well-being company and i think having kids was a catalyst for that if we didn't have kids like when i go back to those pre-2017 days we'd be working like every weekend (laughs) and i think it's probably been a wonderful relief to our team and our colleagues that we work with that 
we now, in a wonderful way, have a better perspective on work-life integration. And we never use the words work-life balance because that's not necessarily something we strive for. And our life is very integrated. So many of our friends are part of the Mind Body Green community that it's hard to create these kind of like clear delineations. And our personal passions are in health and wellness. When we dive into work after work, a lot of times it's, you know, reading literature within health and wellness, reading someone's new book. And I think setting ourselves up for work-life balance is just something we're ultimately going to fail at. But how do we prioritize being there with our kids and enjoying those special memories? we've realized how finite our time with our kids is. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the book 4,000 Weeks, and we've been really focused on creating experiences that our kids are going to remember during this point in time yeah. because there's going to be a point very soon where mom and dad are no longer cool and there's no desire to hang out with us. Yeah, that comes very, very quickly. Very quickly. <laughs> My 10-year-old looks at me sometimes, she's like, oh, mom. And I'm like, what did I do? And then all of a sudden I think about all those times that I did that. Sorry, mom, if you're listening right now. But to my mom, where I would roll my eyes and be like, why are you saying that? Or why are you wearing that? Like at 10, this happens? Good Lord. It happened so much faster than I thought. So watch out. You only have a couple more years <laughs> as it turns out. <laughs> Seriously. So talk to me about working with your husband. I think every single person who is listening to this podcast is having the same question. What is it like to work with your husband 24-7? I work with my husband, not 24-7, but we work on a lot of projects together. I'm fascinated by the co-CEO, co-founder. <laughs> I mean, how are you still smiling when I say his name? How is he still smiling when he says your name and you talk about each other with such reverence? So you must like being with one another. That's probably one. But give us the tips and the secrets. The single most important thing that has enabled us to thrive as a couple, thrive as a business, ha has really been aligning on that our principles of financial wellness and mm -hmm. how we want to run the company. So, you know, that is never kind of up for debate or conversation of which is the number one part of how it works. And then second, you know, it, it's the only dance we've ever really known. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been working together for more than a decade. So if part of the ebbs and flows of our life, like that has been our constant. I think we have different strengths and different points of view and there's different things we're good at versus the other. And respecting and honoring that is important. I think, you know, we also have the ability to give people feedback, i.e. each other, in a way that other people can't, where you're <laughs> just like, true. no. <laughs> you're like, I know this Blame about you, them. and you will never get that done. <laughs> I think we have a very clear understanding that we are both acting in the best interest of the brand, the best interest of the mission of helping people live a well-lived life yeah. um, across everything we do. And we never have to kind of doubt each other's intentions in that, which we don't take for granted. <laughs> it's so funny. So I was saying my husband and I work together and just today, he actually a couple of, let's be honest, it's probably a week ago. He said, can you go get this notarized? You know, you need to sign this contract. You need to get this notarized. And for some reason, things like that are kryptonite to me, and he knows it. <laughs> and so every day I get home and sitting on the dining room table, and all I really need to do is walk two blocks to get it notarized, and I just can't seem to do it. And then finally today I did it, and you know I sent it to him with all these exclamation points. And I sometimes think, like, it is so funny working with someone who knows you so well, because I can just imagine him receiving that text and being like, 
I mean, do you really think I should be excited about the fact that you took something to the notary? <laughs> but to me, it feels like I've really overcome something big. So it is just such a funny dance. And I think you're right. You have to kind of know which lane you're in and what you are good at and let the other person do it in the way that they do. Otherwise, I don't know if it will work at all. Totally. So my final question to you is about your amazing book, which I received, The Joy of Well-Being, A Practical Guide to a Happy, Healthy, and Long Life. Give everyone out there a teaser about your book. Why did you write this? Tell them what they can expect. And then I would love to hear a little bit more about what comes next for Mind Body Green. I view The Joy of Well-Being as a roadmap that I wish I had over a decade ago when I was starting on this health and well-being journey and didn't know where to start and didn't know what was going to actually have the biggest impact on my own health and well-being and that of my family. And when we look at the wellness world today, we have a very complicated relationship with the word wellness. On the one hand, I'm thrilled that everyone's talking about health and wellness, that people are finding ways that resonate with them personally. It's such a huge part of the zeitgeist where I don't even think we were using the word wellness a decade ago. And that's really inspiring. But then I have trouble with the word and kind of how it's being reflected in our culture right now in that there's not enough of a focus on some of these foundational principles. And one of my friends in the wellness world, JJ Virgin, has said, you know, you have to bake the cake before you can put on the frosting. Uh And I think there's an outsized focus on the frosting being (laughs) like the fun things, the cool things. The pink leotard. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. The pink leotard, the pink supplement. And and don't get... Yeah. And don't get me wrong, like I like these things too, but there's not enough of a focus on the things that are actually going to move the needle for you. And so this is the roadmap that I wish I had that I think kind of cuts through the clutter, cuts through the noise of everything out there. And if you're like, hey, I want to start to feel better, but I don't know where to start. You know, the hardest work is the work that only you can do and kind of understanding and taking stock of, of where you're at what you're excited about and where you can improve. And then what I hope the joy of well-being does is is help give you the roadmap to do it. And it's definitely also a reaction to, I think women have been left out of a lot of the longevity conversation. There's a lot of bros out there with a lot of different tips and tools and tricks that I don't think are as applicable to women in their lives. So if you have a family, if you have a job, if you have kids, I looked at the morning routines of all these people and I was like, this is my job. I can't do this. I don't do this. I can't do all this and get my kids out the door. So how do you integrate these foundational principles in a way that works for your lifestyle and most importantly brings you joy? Because after the past three years, we need to start prioritizing our social connections, our joy and having an enjoying life and I think that's been missing from a lot of the longevity conversation. Well, Colleen, I cannot thank you enough for spending so much time with me. I've loved hearing all about Mind Body Green, but also about your journey and your life. And I would love to tell our listeners where they can find you. Where can we follow along to find out what's coming next with you? Obviously, I hope that every single person who is dying for a new book to read picks up this incredible book. But tell us a little bit more about where we can find Colleen. 
Yeah, so Joy of Wellbeing, wherever books are sold, comes out May 23rd. Mind Body Green across all social channels and Colleen Wachab on social channels as well. Well, thank you again for joining me on Claim Your Confidence. And to all of the listeners out there, I want to leave you with this one thought that Colleen talked about and it has made me think about it. What is the one thing you can do? What can you prioritize that will bring you joy? DM me. DM Colleen, reach out to us and let us know after you hear this podcast. I'm Lydia Finette. This is Claim Your Confidence. And as I said at the beginning, I'm podcasting out of the amazing newsstand studios in Rockefeller Center. So if you are here, come to One Rockefeller Plaza, give us a wave, have a wonderful week and look forward to being with you again next week. <laughs>